All right, so we were talking about last week, we, we can talk about the purpose of the church a little bit. And this week, we're just going to kind of, we're going to kind of expand on this. Um, talk about being the church. Because in the Bible, the word church in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia. And it never indicates a building. It's always people. It's the called out. That's literally what that word means. God's called out people. All right, so instead of like going to a church, God's called us to just be the church. And as I said last week, this is really a great study. It's so convicting, challenging, and encouraging. And as the kids say now, this used to be a bad word, but it's a good word now. I've got it. it this, this study is just going to be dope. Remember, defining our purpose every day. D-O-P-E. That's what we're doing. We're defining our purpose every day. So I've got a little different look today. Uh, unfortunately, I scratched my cornea fairly well yesterday. And uh, the eye, I wear contacts. And so normally I have the bifocal contact thing. Uh, one eye far off, one eye up close. Well, these are my 20-something-year-old glasses. I wear them every day a little bit, but um, they only correct out here. And so I'm going to be doing a lot of, it's going to really, it's going to be a challenge for me today, all right? Um, so, um, yeah, yeah, pray, pray this heals up good. But um, so I'm a little bit, uh, do I look smarter? Martha, you told me I look smarter. Or, was, or you say I look like a smart aleck. No, you said smarter. No, actually, you know what she said? She goes, oh, that white shirt, it really makes your white hair stand out. And I'm like, thank you, Martha. Appreciate it. You're just telling the truth, aren't you? It's a good look, isn't it? Look wiser. Okay, that's good. That's good. So um, I'm just going to try to work this the best I can with the spectacles. But thank God we've got ways to, 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 to help out here. So anyway, I'm kind of looking under. I think this is going to work. All right, I'm figuring it out as we go. <laughs> All right, so uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we're talking about. So what I want to do is, is give uh, a little bit, the first two maybe, of the basics of belonging. There are several of them. And over the next few weeks, and hopefully if you can't be here, you can catch online so that this is a study uh, that, that we want the Holy Spirit to take in and illuminate our understanding so we're changed and, and we're strengthened by it uh, to be who he wants to be the church, right? Uh, all right, so Ephesians chapter 4, if you're there, he starts out talking about walking or living in a manner worthy of the Lord. You think about what the Lord's done for us and uh, saving us. We want to live in a worthy manner of that. And then he starts talking about the attitude which you have with humility, which Alan was sharing about, all of that. Uh, it ties in so amazingly to what we've been doing. And we do try to pray and prepare and plan, but the Lord never ceases to surprise us the way he puts things together. Um, but as you go on through this passage, before I'm going to give a little background, a little context before I read this. Uh, he talks about the, then the part about there's the unity that this brings. And we've all, we're all different kind of people, and we've all, none of us are perfect, right? I know I've got faults, and I know I've got problems. Hey, nobody is perfect, right, except Jesus. So, hey, yeah, I've got them. I'm kind of used to mine, though. Sometimes my problems don't bother me as bad as they should. It's yours that really get on my nerves. Because you got them. Isn't that the way it is, though? 
That, you know, we all know that we got issues and problems, but I'm kind of used to mine. It's yours that really get on my nerves. And there's all types of room for conflict. One of the greatest ways that the Lord works is bringing that unity of where that we grow through those. We go through struggles. We have conflicts. We have friction. But do you remember in the scripture where it talks about as iron sharpens iron, so, you know, two people, we sharpen each other. Um, So the thing about it is, is for iron to sharpen iron, there has to be friction. So one of the ways that God does that is through the friction that we have. The thing is, is we've got to have the right angle on it. It can dull or it can sharpen. And if we let the Holy Spirit lead us, and if we're trying to follow him, he will help us even use the friction that we have with each other to sharpen us and bring God glory and help us to grow and to love each other more. So he talks about this unity here that we have. And he reminds us, it's a unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. He said there's one body. You hear that? There's one body. Paul's favorite way of referring to the church, all of those who are saved, is as a body. Christ is the head. We're the body. Are you with me? Say amen. Amen. Good. And then he goes on to say, there is um, one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, in you all. Then he talks about the measure of grace that is given to each of us. That measure of grace where he wants to use each of us in each other's lives. All right? We're just going through this passage before I actually get to what I want to read today. Then he gives this illustration about how that he uses from Old Testament scripture here, but about how that Christ, he descended from heaven, he defeated sin, he defeated hell and the grave, and it's kind of an allusion to the old days when a king would go and he would conquer, he would win a victory. And when he won the victory, the people that had been taken captive by that other king, he would recapture them. He would take the captives You know, it's their people that's been taken captive. He would take the captives captive and lead them. When he come back into town, he was leading a victory parade. And during that time, the the booty, the the different uh, spoil, maybe it's a better word right there, spoil. Let's let's go with that, all right? The spoil from from the people they conquered, they would hand out gifts to people. I mean, they'd just be giving out stuff. And he would lead the people who he'd set free in that procession. And they refer to as taking captivity captive, leading him in his victory march. And they were giving gifts. And he said, that's just what Jesus did. And as he's doing that, he gave gifts. And that's what he's talking about. All of these different gifts to be used to build everyone up and glorify God within the body of Christ. So now, are you ready to read it with me? Finally. All right, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelist, the shepherds and teachers. I'm reading from the ESV. The word shepherd is usually translated pastor. The Greek word it's translated from that Paul actually wrote means, guess what? Shepherd. And in the construction of the Greek sentence, it's very likely that pastors and teachers is connected, is connected like pastor teacher or shepherd teacher. This is what you're to do. All right. So why did he do that? Verse 12. To equip the saints, that's all of those who are saved, to equip all of the saints, those who have been set apart for God, for what? For the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, building up the body of Christ. How, how, how far do we go with this? How long? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
There's maturity in all of this, right? As we come together, uh, the world's going to be amazed by this, by the way, as they see people from all different walks of life, all different races, all different social uh, structures, all different things that we come together. Already, right there in Ephesus, you have people who are from a Jewish background. You have people who are from a Roman, Greek-type background. You have people that grew up in pagan religions, people growing up worshiping idols with people who were growing up under the yoke of the law and all of the legalism with that. You have all of those people from so many, they come in together. He talks about how Christ broke down the barrier of separation. Only Christ can bring people together. And the more people, like even in our country, try to do to try to deal with the different uh, problems, they're just making division worse. Only Christ can bring it together. All right, so that's bonus content right there. Um, So he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to maturity, that, that, that knowledge and growing and knowing Him. He says, to what? What's the measure? What's maturity? He says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ is our example. I want to be like Christ. Not only did God provide for our salvation, but God the Son. He came in real time, in the flesh, on planet Earth, and lived a life to not only pay for our sins on the cross, but to show us how to live. He did it. He's the only one that kept every aspect of the law and was the perfect, unblemished Lamb of God who could die for our sins because he was sinless. So that's the goal. It's not be like me or be like you or be like something. It's be like Jesus. All right? That's who we're all following. We're not following each other. We're following Jesus. So that's the, that's the fullness. He says, so that, so you got to have some maturity here. Are you still reading with me? We're to verse 14. So that we may no longer be children. That's immature tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching. If you're not mature and and, and have that mature knowledge and relationship with the Lord, you're going to be wishy-washy. Every book you read, every podcast you listen to, or every clip of video you see could lead you in some crazy direction. You need to get rooted and grounded because I want to tell you, the enemy has more and more ways to get you confused, and he will use a lot of different people to do it. That's why he goes on to say, by human cunning. The word translated cunning there is a Greek word that literally means a cube that was used in gambling, kind of like, think like a dice, and they would often be loaded and cheat people as they're gambling, and it kind of became a figure of speech for people who would trick you and deceive you. That's where that word cunning comes from. By craftiness in deceitful schemes. Wow, Paul piles on a lot of description here, doesn't he? Craftiness and then deceitful schemes. And the word schemes is the word methodia, methods that they use of all these deceitful methods to deceive you from God's truth. That's why Satan is, is, is gunning for every one of us to get us twisted up and messed up when it comes to God's truth. That's why you need to grow. That's why you need to be connected to a body of believers. And that's why we all help each other build up, right, and do this. And he says, rather speak, but instead of being immature, but rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Both are necessary, truth and love. I've had people speak truth to me, but it wasn't very loving. And I've had people try to love me, but they didn't tell me the truth, so that wasn't very loving either. So he says, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Who's that? Into Christ. From whom, watch this, the whole body. You see it again? 
Right there it is, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. So some of us, as in the body of Christ, some of you may be that. The word joint is like connecting, a connector, connective tissue. There may be some of you that are especially gifted as connectors. You help pull people together. You help connect people and hold it together. It says that uh, by every joint which is, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body, the whole body, grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we're all becoming and being who God wants us to be and be in the church. We not only glorify God, we not only reach people who are lost, we build each other up. We need this. So here's the deal. Here's what you need to know. That you need to come to Christ and we need to give our heart to Him and we need to trust totally in what He did on the cross for our salvation. It's not our religious works. It's not our good deeds. It's not attending things, this and that, that saves us. It's what Jesus did on the cross and trusting Him completely. Not only did He die for our sins, but He rose again to give us new life. I need my sins forgiven and paid for. He paid that sin debt, but I also need new life, the resurrection life that He wants to give us to make us a new person. All right? But he's not just called on you to believe the right stuff. He's not just called upon you to be saved. So here's the thing. He has not just called on you to believe, but also to belong. He's called on us to belong. We belong to him. And if you belong to him and I belong to him, guess what? We belong to each other. You're not here by accident. God has a plan for you, and that plan includes being a faithful and active part of a local community of believers. Now, I'm not just telling you this is from me. This is what the New Testament teaches. If you're going to be a New Testament Christian, a believer, you want to be a part of a New Testament local body. We call it a local church um, because you're important to God. God loves you. And he loves you unconditionally. But God also does have expectations of us. Amen? Amen. And those are through his body, the church. Because in the New Testament, everyone who is saved, once again, becomes a part of the universal church of all of those who are saved. So you've heard me say, like, even in Hartville, there's really only one church, but we meet in different locations in different small communities. So, so um, this was true in Ephesus. It was true in a lot of those places because they didn't have buildings like this that they could meet in. So they met in small groups, and as they grew, they, they began to appoint more leaders and more pastors and more overseers and shepherds, and they began to have other groups that met. But they were all part of one body. So we are. But everyone also connected themselves with a small community or body of believers, a local church, a local ecclesia, a local group of believers, everyone. So Paul referred to this as a body of believers. Uh, so how else are you going to do the functions that he's talking about here? So this is exactly what he's talking about, that you are not complete without the rest of the body. And the rest of the body is not complete without you. That's how this works. We need all these things. You remember last week we talked about the five purposes that we outlined from uh, the passages of, of Jesus giving us the great commandment and the great commission? Um, we need the fellowship. We need the regular habit 
uh, of coming together and having that koinonia, that in commonness, that fellowship, we, of worshiping together with others, the opportunity to minister and serve together and to one another and to the lost. Um, we need people to minister to us at times, right? And also the ability to serve together using the various gifts that he's given us. We need the structure that he talks about. It's laid out. I'm not making this up. This is coming from this. The structure, uh, the accountability, the ministry gifts that God lays out for his people if we are going to grow as followers of Christ. You need this. I need this. So we find out in the Bible that Paul lays out a lot of this, of the early structure that they had. We find that there were elders, that's those who were mature, men and women, who were leaders and mature. There were those among them who were overseers. That word could be translated bishop, overseer, shepherd, or pastor. And then there were those who were set apart to be servants or deacons, in the church, there are those who are teachers, but these are some of the structure. Just like in the family, God puts structure, roles, and responsibilities. So also in the church, and these aren't my requirements, these are this is what the Bible teaches, because this is our authority. Okay? And even though I may be a pastor, shepherd, overseer, and like in First Peter, he talks about to the overseer, to the elders who are overseers among you, he says to shepherd the flock of God. He uses all three words there. Uh, I think it's First Peter five where he, he addresses those who are elders that were overseers that they pastor or shepherd the flock, and and so um, this is our authority. I may be have responsibilities here, but I'm not in authority over you. Jesus Christ is. The Word of God is. This is our authority. This is where we go. All right? And uh, all the rest of us are fellow sheep and servants. He's the Lord. Uh, and so this is what we do. We need this. We need the connections. We need the relationships. We need the spiritual gifts of all of us if we're going to become mature followers of Christ and impact the lost world with the gospel. Now, belonging to Christ... And belonging to each other is how we fulfill those things we talked about last week. Let me just refresh our memory really quick. Remember, those five things were from the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. And also, at the end part of Acts 2, when we see the early church working together, we see every one of these there. Worship helps us focus on God. Fellowship helps us face life's problems. Discipleship helps fortify and build our faith. Ministry helps us use our gifts and talents as we serve. Evangelism helps us fulfill our mission of spreading the gospel. You see all of that in those two statements that we covered last week. And if you weren't here, you can go back and listen to it. Uh, but, so I'm not going to cover all that again. But this is what this is about. Um, so in these next, this message and the next message, I'm going to cover um, what we call the seven basics of belonging. Now, this is part of the core of our connection class about if you want to connect with this local congregation, and some of the other churches use the same approach that we help people to understand what this means to belong. And um, I like to use this study as outlined by Sam Rayner. This is a book that we use in our connections class, Seven Basics of Belonging. You can pick that up by Sam Rayner. Uh, Sam Rayner, his dad, Tom Rayner, uh, Church Answers. We use a lot of their resources. It's good stuff. So I'm basing this on that so I give credit, and this is part of what we use in our membership class or our 
connection class, all right? And we're going to look at two of them today, all right? So we're, gonna, we're going fast here, so we're, 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 we're way past the halfway point. So soak this in. Are you ready? So the concept of church membership, the reason why we need this, the concept of connecting to a local church or church membership, it's been skewed over the years, wouldn't you agree? That to a lot of people it means something totally different than what it's supposed to be. To be a member simply means this. It means to be part of a whole. You are part of a whole of something. Just like there are members of your body, fingers and arms and legs and toes, that's members of your body. It means there's a connection and there's function. Think of those two things. Each part is connected and has a function. Uh, so church membership, when we talk about that, is nothing like joining a club or like joining the country club or something like that, where you just join up and maybe you pay dues and you, you render a, a service to you and all that. It's not that at all. It's becoming part of a body. That's what it means. It's not like joining a club and things like that. And I'm sorry, it, we, we, we've misrepresented that through the years. And so basically you're saying, I want to connect, I want to be accountable, and I want to find my function as a part of this local body. And if this isn't where you can do it, I want to personally help you find where you can because fortunately you've got something that a lot of people in the world don't have. You have a, a whole community full of Bible teaching churches that you will fit somewhere. And if you don't fit here, I want to help you find where you fit. Not to give fits. <laughs> Wasn't that funny? Not where you can go give fits, but where you can fit. Oh, that's this good. This we're commanded to do, and this is something they did. And this is something we do. As often as we do it, this is fellowshipping together, remembering, remembering Christ's suffering, and we, we, enter, and we are fellowshipping with him. That's where the word communion comes from, by the way. Um, we serve one another. We serve together. All of these ways. It's not limited to a single experience of what happens when we gather. So here's the other problem we have with worship. Are you ready? Of belonging. It's, um, uh-oh. I don't know what. Did, can you fix that? We went blank. He doesn't know. Okay, let me just tell you. It's about personal preferences. I'm not talking about biblical stuff. I'm talking about personal preferences. Why don't you look at me that way? All of a sudden I said something bad. We all have them. I have them. And I want to tell you, if I did things my exact personal preference way, it would be different than anything we've ever done, but you probably wouldn't like it. If I'm going to be together with others, I've got to, I've got to be a part of the whole body, right? Um, everyone has them. We're all unique individuals. The real problem occurs. Oh, wow. You got it back. Um, see if I can advance this. Okay, I'm stuck still. Oh, there. we'll get there because I want you to see this. There it is. We are all unique. Here's the problem. This was great timing, by the way. The problem, imposing personal preferences on others. I could be that way. How about you? It's just like, I like something cooked a certain way, maybe. I always think of Meemaw, and you brought it up the other day, Clarissa, because we was at her house one time. Meemaw's been with Jesus in heaven for a long time, but she had these tomatoes, and she cut them in half, and she put some kind of funky seasonings on it and, and cheese on it and, and baked it, you know, and, and I like that now. At the time, I didn't want any part of it. But she's like, eat it, eat it. Okay, yeah, I don't want to eat it. No, eat it, eat it. You got to eat it. No, 
it's not very good. No, this is good. You should like it. Eat it. And um, it's like if she likes something, but no, the thing that, that, I tell you what she did that I don't do, she put mayonnaise on it. Loaded it with mayonnaise. But she likes it. Everybody should like it. And then I catch myself doing the same thing. But it's different because when I do that, it really is good. True? Did you see how, this, how confusing this gets? And, but the problem is not just with food and things, but with, with things we do here. I have my preferences. You have yours. And I'm going to tell you, if I imposed all of my preferences, it might just be me showing up here after a while, right? But some people, it's like they have to have everything their way. That's why they can never find a place that they fit. I want to help you find a place you, you, that you, you can, can connect. But it might be that this is part of the problem. And, and so um, uh, worship service exists. Why? To give glory to God together. Now, God is glorious whether we give him any glory. So when I say give God glory, what I mean is recognizing God's glory. We glorify him in that way. Um, it does not exist, I mean, to be aware of the presence of God, yeah, but it does not exist. This is not the reason why. It doesn't exist so you can just hear your favorite songs and sing your favorite songs and, and do some of, of, of your, I put my, but I meant your favorite things. But to a lot of people, that's all the worship service is, is me going there and singing my favorite songs, doing things my favorite way, and hearing a sermon done the way I like it. You're really putting yourself in a tough spot there. That's not why this exists. Uh, when, when other things, even if they're good things, even if there's some good things we do around here, when they become more important than Jesus, they become bad things. When we make worship a priority of our connection, of our church membership, then that means we're going to consistently feel moved to align ourselves with God's will and to bring unity to each other. We have an awareness that we're in the presence of God. We want to say yes to God. It's part of a routine of life. Good worship is never occasional. It's like this. It's like exercise for the soul. Think about this. Exercise for the body. Um, you know, people who only exercise once on an occasion, all it does is make you hurt. It's painful. But when you develop a routine of it, it builds health. Okay? Now, you ask, what about your workout two weeks ago Tuesday? I can't tell you much about it. I know I did it. There's a cumulative effect. Like you might say, that time we met for worship back four weeks ago and all. You may not be able to tell a lot about it. You may not even be able to give me one point of the sermon preached. But it had an effect on you. And as you regularly do this, it has a cumulative effect on you that makes you grow and be a healthier follower of Jesus. Amen. You see, you get the point? It's, it's a lot like that, like eating meals the same way. You may not be able to remember a specific meal, but it's done you good, and it keeps building you. So this applies to worship. Uh, it has that cumulative effect. The more regular you are in worship, the more you will begin to say yes to God because you are worshiping. So when the church has good worship, here's some results that occur. There's internal unity, unity of the faith with believers in the body. We grow. We're, that doesn't mean that we don't have problems. It just means we're better equipped to work them out and sometimes even put up with each other. Hmm? That, that's, that's, that's a thing, isn't it? That the Holy Spirit actually gives us a capacity to put up with more junk from each other. And we all got it. 
And when we do that, it's attractive to those who are outside. They are drawn to Jesus. And you know, one of the biggest compliments I had a while back, somebody came in and just being a part of, of our worshiping, they said, you know, I, I, it wasn't that I, I felt like you were that great a preacher or this or that. Thank you. I, I felt, here's what they said. Here's what he said. He said, I felt God. Isn't that it? I felt God. It wasn't that I just liked the song selection. I didn't know half the songs, but I just felt God. When they're around you and you're really focused on God, it has an effect on those who come in that may not know him that well. And it also compels me to want to share Christ. As I worship him and I adore him, I want to share him. I want to. So how do we get to where worship isn't about us or about getting something from God, but, but about getting God himself? It's only possible through the cross of Christ. So here's what the gospel does. It helps us see God not as useful but as worthy. Now, please understand that. Because a lot of people want to come to God because I need God. I need his help. Yes, we do. But he's more than just useful or helpful. He is worthy of who, because of who he is that we worship him. That's what we want to do. And so are you willing to say yes to God? Are you willing to worship him for who he is and not just because of what he's done? If so, you're ready for the next step, and I'm just going to barely share this, is to grow. That's the next thing you're going to start to do is grow, that as a disciple, you're going to be a disciple who helps other people become disciples of Jesus. Um, you can't claim to belong to Christ if you're not willing to follow him. So if you're saved, you should start following him. Discipleship means being more like Christ, growing up that measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, Right? The book of Acts records, so if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. You say, well, I'm a Christian. I don't know if I'm a disciple. Now, you're a disciple. You're both. Because we find that in Acts 11, 25, 26, the beginning of this word being used, Christian, says, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, he met with what? The church. That's that local church, by the way, that we're talking about. They connected in that local church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. A Christian is a follower of Christ, is a disciple. So you're to grow spiritually and you're to help others grow. That's the spiritual growth. The key purpose of our church is growing deeper in our faith individually. And as we do that, we reach wider corporately or to more people uh, who don't know Christ. That's what we're going to do. Each of us grow and we help other people come to Christ. So you don't grow alone. See, presence is a key part of this. Just showing up is huge sometimes. You know it? It really is. So there is a community. It's part of, it's a vital part of the way God made us, that koinonia, that we grow better together. We serve better together. And, 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 and all of us can do more together than, than, than we could do apart, all of us could do apart. God set the example himself in this mysterious person of himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, where there is communion, there is koinonia, where they are loved and being loved and serving and being served. Jesus talked about the glory that he had with the Father before the world began when he's praying in John 17. God even set that example within the Godhead. There is this. This is what he wants us to have, what he has. It's, it's deep. Yes, very much so. And then I want to end with this. One other reason why you need to connect, and all of this is a key part of discipleship, is this. Already, It's called the five times factor. 
Now, this is research that's been done, and here's what it says. You are five times more likely to stay if you are a part of a small group. So in the early church, we see them meeting in a big area of the temple corporately to worship, and then they were meeting house to house. And that's the same pattern we use today, that we come together, and it's very important for the corporate worship where we all come together. And it's great for, I think, times when our whole community of churches come together, like what we were talking about, the celebration of unity, where we all get together, we worship, because we're, we're all part of the, the bigger body of Christ. We also need to be connected to smaller groups. And you're five times more likely uh, a lot of people start attending through the worship service, but they, statistics say they stay because they connect to a smaller group. And there are various types of groups. We have several. We can talk about those later. We have open groups. Like before church, we have Bible classes. Um, you can call it Sunday school. You can call it whatever. And anybody can come to those anytime. Then there's times we have closed groups, and that is like we'll have a Bible study, whether we're going to be, even on Sunday nights, we have some parenting classes, some relationship and marriage enrichment classes. We may have a study in this and that, even while we're having another study in the fellowship hall. Um, and some of those like will be a group that's going to be like eight weeks, six sessions, something like that. People may sign up, and it's a closed group for that amount of time, and then they're done, and then you look for something else. So we have open and closed groups. We have Sunday school classes. We have different opportunities to do this, and we want to create more and more of those so we can do it. So here's the thing. Um, it's been told that not only is this true with adults, but especially for young people, not just to get the young people in a youth group, but I want to tell you something before I wind down. And the studies show that the more adults that impact a young person within a church, the more likely they're to grow and not stray from the faith. Not just other youth, but the more adults that impact them. And sometimes we separate the generations too much. We need to come together in a lot of these ways. And this is exactly what our purpose is there in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, where he said, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, See, showing up is important as a habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, he's talking about that great judgment day is approaching. So I wrap it up with this, and we'll pick up next week. Lord willing, two, two results, two things involved in this uh, is spiritual growth and accountability. Spiritual growth, it happens every day, and I want to help equip you for that, and we help equip each other for that. And it's things like daily Bible study, daily prayer, and meditation. You grow. Every time you listen to a sermon or sit in a class and discuss Scripture in an intelligent way, we learn for, and I constantly want to learn from more skilled and mature teachers and leaders and preachers. I, I want to continue to do that. It's important all of us do that. And we learn how to apply God's Word daily to our lives. To be in a group setting with other like-minded believers is an essential part of this for accountability, to help and, to, and be encouraged by others. So I've got this spiritual growth. I've got this accountability. This is how I'm going to grow as a disciple. And those two things, worship and growth, discipleship. We're going to stop there. Pray with me. Father, help